What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Mind Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Dinding. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we're going to talk about how to rethink innovation and how to inspire leaders to change their approach to innovation in the corporate landscape. I want to welcome Ali Mueller. She's an innovative leader, strategist, and author. Her experience is building corporate innovation ecosystems, and she's the managing director of Goya Consulting. So welcome, Ali. I'm so excited that we have to chat about rethinking innovation today. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on, Sana. I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's going to be lots of fun. It is. So let, we're jumping into it. What, what's your definition okay. of innovation and why is innovation one of the biggest opportunities for, for any organization? Great. So my innovation, my, my definition of innovation is, is something around, it's about doing the small things differently every day that we may not have already done. So, which is a little different from what a lot of people talk about when they talk about innovation. And I think sometimes we get confused between invention and innovation. And the problem with that and the reason why this is the biggest opportunity that we have in organisations is that it is actually about, for me, falling in love with your customer so deeply so that you can understand all the little things that they need so that we can be in front of where they're going and we can align with them and we can make sure that we're creating our opportunities, our products, our services, whatever it is that we're doing to make sure that we're growing with that market. And one of the key differences that I talk about with innovation quite heavily is that I ask the people that I work with not to be distracted by disruption. I know that that's a really huge thing. And, and I feel like sometimes I'm going against the grain when I say that. But the reality is we shouldn't be focused on disruption. We should be focused on our customers. We should be focused on our future markets so that we are saying, where are the gaps? What do we need to do? What do we think is next? Because if we fall deeply in love with our customer, we will innovate for them. We will find the things that they need to do and create the opportunities that make them want to stay with us, be loyal with us and love us because we're deeply loving them and giving them exactly what we need. Whereas if we're focused on disruption and, you know, which can be a bit chaotic and actually does drive chaos in, in many innovation programs, we, we forget about our customer. We, we might stop thinking about them. And for me, this is a long-winded way of me saying innovation is all about the customer, finding the things that we need to do for them and making sure you're loving them so that they can love you back. So I, I like that, to be closer to your customer. But um, do you need, then need to be a risk taker to be innovative and be closer to your customer? Or is that too scary to go into that area? No, I think it's really important to take risks. And I think that's something that, um, which is why I work with a lot of organizations to talk about how we take risks. And, you know, we do need to take the risk to say what we're going to do, because if we, if we just keep doing the same old, same old every day for our customers or for ourselves internally, we're not taking any risks and sure it might feel safe, 
but we're not going to grow into the future. We're not going to find those future needs for our customers. So we do need to understand what is the right type of risks to take. Um, but it's not just any old risk. It's not just being about, you know, let's just throw caution to the wind and, and be a little crazy because let's let's be clear and let's be fair. I, I work with large organizations and they have shareholders and, and you know leadership teams and, and everything that they need to be responsible and accountable to. So it is about how do we understand what the right types of risks are and how do we build a process that makes that make sense. And, and for me, what I like to do is get them to think about, well, hang on a minute, what, what does innovation mean to, to our organisation? And therefore, what is our innovation strategy? So therefore, we can build a process, a structure and some scaffolding around that so that we know, okay, here are the mechanisms that we're willing to take a risk on. And we can take calculated and structured risks so that we're not just being a little crazy and thinking, well, we tried it, it didn't work. Um, and that, that can be fine too, but the reality is we want to make sure that if we're trying something, we're doing it in a structured environment so that if we do fail, the failure is perfectly okay yeah. in that space. Um, and and that's, the, that's the thing I always link back together is that failure and risk. The people, the reason why they don't want to take a risk is because they don't want to fail. So we have to tackle this in two fronts. Um, and the two fronts for me is that, that failure mechanism. So I talk about we should make this place safe to fail, but in the right way. So yeah. we're not failing if we've tried something, we've put our best efforts forward, we've done some hypothesis testing, we've done some customer understanding, we've done all these different areas and we've really you know, put a great step forward into thinking, would this work? That's not failing if it's not the right thing. We've actually learned something and I, and I see that as a huge success. We only ever fail if we don't do it properly, if we sort of just go, oh, yeah, whatever, we, we might do this, we might do that, and it doesn't really work. Failure only occurs when we don't put our best efforts in and we're not trying something to the, to the best of our skill set. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and, oh, yeah, continue. And I was going to say, then the, one of the other things that, that we have with risk is that um, leaders and people inside organizations are afraid to take those risks because if they don't pan out to provide that amazing, wonderful, you know, profit building or um, engagement or, you know, structured result that adds value to the organization, they can, they can feel like they're a bit of a failure. And then they feel that, well, what happens if, what does that do to my career? What does that what does that do to my job? What does that do to my annual bonus or my performance indicators? And I think we need to understand how risk is structured into that from an organization and innovation perspective and, and how re we reward people for taking opportunities and going through, looking through them, researching, testing them and measuring them and working out, even if it didn't work, that's a great lesson learned. And, and how do we reward that differently? So that, that's how risk and failure, you know, is impacting the organizations that I work with at the moment and, and how we're trying to change that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say that it's not a failure, right? You learned that that didn't work. So then you need to find um, and try something else. Um, but it's difficult, yes. right? Because we're programmed from an early age that, that to think that failure is bad. So when you go into organizations and, and do consulting here, do you change the word failure or how do you you know how do you how do the how do you teach them 
um, and, and also the importance of it? Well, I, yes, we, we, we go in there and we address that really, really early. And, you know, one of the things that I think that people are leaning on in organisations at the moment is this, let's fail fast and fail forward. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we, what we have to do is break that down and say, are we really doing that? Is that what's really happening? Or are you just using that because it's a really great buzzword? Is, does it make your employees feel good? So we do two things. Um, firstly, we build a structure around it so that if we are putting ideas together and we're testing them and incubating them, they do have the complete process that sits behind it so that if it doesn't work and we are failing, what are we, what are we doing with that information? How are we storing that information? How are we sharing that information? How are we changing it to be a lesson learned? Uh, and one of the key things that's really important in this space is don't just lock that information away with that little team that, that tried it over there. How are we sharing that with the entire organization so that we celebrate that process just as much as we celebrate the successes? Because that's really important. If we have figured out what not to do, that can be just as important as figuring out what we are going to do. Yeah. And then the other component of that is we work with leaders um, and innovation leaders and, and innovation managers across organizations to talk about how are we building a very particular model around psychological safety and what I call, we have an innovation heroes model that we work with. And that's how we're building them up to be the coach, the guide, the mentor, to take people on this journey so that they understand all of the pitfalls, you know, the huge ups and downs that these people are about to go through so they can help them manage them on that journey bring their skill set up and understand, ah, oh, so something not working wasn't necessarily a bad thing. This is actually about how I use that information now. How do I, how do I turn that information into a really positive lesson to do something else with that? Or how do I, how do I teach someone else in the organization what we did, why it didn't work, so that they don't fall down that same rabbit hole of a mistake? There's lots of really positive things that we do in that space to change the process to say, oh, that's that's not a bad thing. Actually, that's a great thing. We've just learned what not to do, how to recover from it, and we've got a big database of lessons learned and what are we doing with that to make sure we're bringing the skills of everyone up, not just a couple of people. Yeah, to everyone. So curiosity helps people understand each other better as well, um, together with if you're mapping out and saying having that database or have it transparent of saying these things didn't work and sharing that. So how can you go in and teach and saying it's okay to ask questions? So what, what we do is we, I, I just, just following on from that, I, I believe that transparency engenders trust across the entire organization. And one of the things we want to do is we do want to spark the curiosity, not just for those little ideas that people will come up with. And I believe people come up with ideas every day. And yeah. um, what the, the core aspect of the, the model that we teach organizations is that the genius is actually inside your organization. It's how you develop it, put the tools in place, the systems, the processes to bring it out and allow them to show you what their genius is and develop on them. The other side to that is, I want all the ideas to be really transparent across the organization. So we have a methodology and a process to make sure everyone can see what is going on. And the benefit of that is 
people look at what's happening because people love innovation. Um, whether they can do it themselves at that particular time or not, they love it. It's, it's something that makes them think, wow, what are we doing? You know, look at my great organization. I love what we're focused on. And then they think, oh, I wonder if they read that article in the paper. I, I wonder if they saw that other thing that was happening in that other, you know, organization down the road that they were trying this. Or I wonder if they saw that customer survey. And, and what we find is that the people of the organization start helping put the pieces of the puzzle together in ways that this incubation team may not have been able to find themselves. So by opening innovation up to everyone and democratizing it um, for want of a better term, we create the mechanism where everybody feels involved. So even if they're not directly in the team, their curiosity is still sparked because they want that to win. Um, everybody wants innovation to win. So if we give them the opportunity to play in the space with us, I find that everybody creates and supports us um, and adds value. And then there's the other side of that. Um, and it, we can't forget that there's also a bit of a dark side to that as well. There's always going to be someone that says, oh, that'll never work. That, yeah. that, that idea will never work. Like this is, not, this is not utopia where everyone's like, yay, this is going to be the best thing ever. We are going to have detractors and black hat thinkers and people that say, nope, that, that's never going to work. And I, I call them the innovation vampires, you know, the people that suck the energy and the life out of all these yeah. ideas. Oh, they actually say we tried it before, right? Some oh, of they know everything. Yeah. They, they know just know everything. Yeah. yeah. They've been there, done that, tried that. They know, right? We've yeah. all seen them. We've all worked with them. But actually, they're great. We, we want them and I encourage them. And what we do is we bring them all the way deep into the process, which actually can be a bit shocking for them at first. But I find that they are a great element to the innovation team it's like tell me everything that you think is wrong with this yeah tell me every reason why you think this will fail tell me every reason why you believe the customer will hate this product service initiative or whatever the case may be and you, they start helping us uncover all those problems all the things that we may have overlooked because we've been so focused on the positive and the fun and the or whatever it is that we're creating we want those people deep in the core of that team. So um, transparency also brings out that dark side. That dark side also helps us start to overcome the problems, the barriers and the issues that maybe we hadn't got to yet. And it helps us become a little deeper in the knowledge and um, think more deeply about what it is we're actually doing. So it really helps. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. I like your vampire. <laughs> um, let, let's talk about skills. Um, so what skills do you need to become a great leader? And also you need a leader to, to, um, to continue with, with innovation. So are we, are we born leaders or is this something can be, that can be developed? I think this is something that can be developed. And I think there's, there's a couple of things. So I, I talk about how sometimes in organizations we've misunderstood what we want our innovation leaders to actually be and we go and debunk that myth um, quite quickly so you know initially when we go into organizations what we see is that the innovation leaders they are usually leaders in their field in tech or sometimes they are the ex-leader of a startup or they've done a lot of those those things themselves um, But unfortunately, they're not necessarily 
the right person that we're looking for in this. They are very good, amazing subject matter experts, but they're not necessarily innovation leaders that we're looking for. And we try and shift that process for an innovation leader to talk about, well, what does that really look like? Now, an innovation leader is a coach, a guide, and a mentor. They are not necessarily the oracle and the guru of all things innovation or all new technology or all new ideas. And the reason why I ask organizations to try and not think of a tech person, to try and stop hiring a tech person into that role is because we never know where innovation is going to come from. And it's not necessarily tech that is going to be innovative in this space, and it could be anything. So we need to make sure we have somebody that is a leader that can develop the people inside these teams. So we want leadership developers. We want people developers. And sometimes, whilst it can be a little hard for them, the introverted leader actually makes for one of the most wonderful innovation leaders. And whilst it can be very hard for them to think about how they need to do a lot of the incubation and the, you know, most organizations move through an iteration and an agile process down this path. The introverted leader in this space is wonderful because they are very thought provoking around how they do the coaching, leading, guiding, mentoring. The other thing that they do is they're really good at capturing the right people into the teams. So we want a leader that understands that how do we put all these different people into this incubation team? So you heard me speak about the black-headed thinkers, the innovation vampires, and how we pull them in. Yeah. But I also talk about um, how we bring out what I call the rogues, the pirates, and the misfits inside the organization, because how do we get all these different types of thinkers along with the all-star thinkers, the A-types, and the you know, those people that just know everything about how the organization flows. It's how we put the right team together. So your innovation leader is, it's almost like the, the Mr. Miyagi. How are we coaching somebody along that journey so that they teach everybody that you, you know, what are the right skills to be used at the right time? They are a people person that can actually gather the right people together inside this organization. And then thirdly, although I do talk about a lot of other things in my book is actually around their community builder. So one of the core elements of an innovation leader is it's not just the program of work that they're doing over that one particular um, opportunity or that one particular project. What we want is to build the skills of the entire organization. So how are they building a community and a tribe inside the organization so that we can actually build a community of practice and everybody learns and grows together. So we need somebody that can build a community because we need this person to access the skills of these people inside these projects to lead them on their journey. Let them be the subject matter experts. Let them do the building and the creating and the innovation leader makes sure it happens and gives them a smooth path inside the organization. So is that also with the community? I see that's also how you build trust within a company. Because if you bring people together, right, from different uh, teams and they all start working together and know each other and building it up, you, you, you create the trust and then it's okay to, if you have failures or you have your learnings, it'll be that full circle. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, there's something else that happens with the community that's really incredibly important is that People don't stay in organizations forever. 
they move on, they change and they do different things with their lives. So um, we can't rely on an innovation leader or just a couple of people in an innovation team to be the holders of all that information, knowledge, skills and you know, the systems processes that have been built. We want to build that into an entire community of practice across the organisation so that we're educating everybody because if someone leaves, we don't want our innovation program to die or to have all that knowledge walk out the door with somebody, which sometimes is what we see in yeah. different organisations. Um, we have to allow people the opportunity to move on and do different things. But we also have to make sure that this is growing, breathing and living inside the organisation so that it can go on without those people. Um, so in effect, a good innovation leader will make themselves redundant because they're passing the information on. Um, so we have to make sure it grows and lives without those people. Yeah. But what's your favourite part about being a consulting? Because I'm sure you've seen a lot of different companies. Yeah, my favourite part is two things. I love all the different places I get to go. So I have I have been working on um, airport runways. I have been working with underground water pipes to do, you know, electricity generation in uh, underground water pipes to everything from, you know, high-end software development to, um, you know, and the fun stuff, you know, we've even been working with uh, movie production companies to help them think about how do they speed up their innovation and automation process? That is definitely one of my favorite parts is that when I get caught up and they say, how do we, how do we do this? How do we fix this? And then I'm meeting all these different people doing all these different things. And then it comes to my total favorite thing is I'm showing them that they've already got the genius. If yeah. they just have these tools, these skills, these systems, it's like I watch them grow and become amazing and then they can bring their idea to life. So, you know, and, and that's the core part about it, isn't it? It's like, how do I give them the tools, the systems, the structures, the process so that they can make their dreams come true? For me, that's the, that's the best part. That's the best. So how long does it take in, in a process? And I'm sure it depends on the size of the company, but, but from going in, because um, you you also need to, to be redundant yourself, right? So you go in and have to foster everything and making sure it works, it lives, they have ownership, everything is there. Um, and then when you are going away, it still has to be there. So well, how do you, what's, what's the process? Can you, can you share that? Sure. So it takes anywhere between three and 12 months, depending on the size of the organization. But, you know, the first thing is that, it is about bringing people together. The first thing is about, you know, we do two things initially is like, so how do we understand what your strategy is? Um, and if you've got one, and I, I will say that organizations say, yes, we've got an innovation strategy. And then I talk to the people and they say, and I ask them what it is and they go, oh, I don't know. What is it? Are we innovating? And then so we, we, we build that into a, a model that is a collective understanding across the organization. And at the same time, we're making sure we're gathering the right people so that we do have the right people to understand this because it's not about us building this in isolation for the organization and then, you know, saying, yes, great, we're, we're going to be doing this for you. It's about us showing the people inside the organization how this works, what we're doing, and so they can take it over. And, and what we do, we've, as I said, I've worked with 
airlines, airports, infrastructure, cement, decarbonization, movie productions. We've, we've been doing cloud-based SaaS technology. We, we know that this project and this methodology works across many different um, fields and organizations. So we have a structured nine-stage governance innovation framework, which is the corporate innovation operating system that we have developed to put inside organizations. And that's what we work with these people to say, here are the nine stage gates that you're going to work within inside your organization. And this is how it's going to work. And then we know that those nine gates are immovable. And there's a reason for that because they know, we know that they work. We've tested them across 30 different industries. Let's not change it, but we understand that there's a malleable piece in between each of those gates. And that's what we work with those people to say, how do we customize this for your organization? How do we make sure this works? This touches the right people. And then we teach them why we're doing that differently. So I teach organizations that innovation plays by a different set of rules. We're about to give you those rules to play by because this is not a standard project of work. This is not going to meet all your budget thresholds. This is not going to turn up nicely when you're setting the annual budget for the year and all the projects and you're going to understand what's going to happen. And the other problem is innovation is messy. It never turns up on time. It never turns up on budget. It's never when you're ready to do the project. So how do we make sure that we don't just park these things to the side? We have to have a mechanism to allow that to happen. So I give them a fully structured portfolio process that's completely defined for innovation to make sure that can happen. And then we, we automate that inside the system of the organization to allow that to occur because we don't want this to be complicated. We want this to be almost like a following the bouncing ball process for people inside the organization so they can turn their mind away from the admin and the things that might keep them a bit busy from that reporting or governance perspective and allow them to focus on the work that is creative, developing and creating all these different ideas and turning concepts into implementable solutions. And um, most importantly, this is the core component that is quite difficult for organizations to get their head around, but once they have done it and they realize the results, we turn it into almost like an investment portfolio so that the, the profits or the revenue gains that have been received from the innovations that we've been able to implement fund the new ideas of the future so that we don't have to go cap in hand back to any type of budget process to keep asking for money. We want this to be a self-sustaining portfolio that actually keeps funding itself. That is the only way innovation can grow correctly. That is the best way that we can keep testing new ideas. And then we get a better handle on which ones we will actually put money behind because we know which ones will add value. And we get a bit more savvy and we, we, come, we become a little bit more like investment bankers in this process, which is actually what I'm teaching them to be able to do because that's my background. And then, we get them on this journey and we make them really smart and they go, okay, now I'm investing in my organization. I'm investing in my people. I'm investing in this process. And we get a better innovation portfolio. We get um, more money on the bottom line. Um, we will still have failures and that's perfectly fine because we we're making very detailed, careful decisions in that space. And that's what counts. 
what a journey. So uh, you've been, yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's exciting to see your passion behind it here as well, right? How to get in and all the different industries you've been in. So if you have to look back on yourself and saying, what could you tell yourself like 10 years ago, what will you tell yourself? Um, I think I would have um, been a little bit more bullish about this. 10 years ago. Um, I think I was a little bit cautious about when I first started out with this process. Um, and I, because I was like, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not this big. And at the time I had this, I'm not this big tech guru. I'm not this big that I'm, you know, I was a senior executive. Uh, so I had a, a lot of credibility behind me, but I wasn't necessarily uh, and what was traditionally considered an innovation guru. Um, so I think that I would go back in 10 years and say, you need to be a little bit more bullish. We probably would have been able to help twice as many organizations by now if I'd have been a little bit more fast with my thinking in that space. But I think we're all a bit nervous and shy when we, we first start out. We're a bit cautious. So I, I'll tell myself not to be so cautious. That's a good advice. So thank you so much, Ali, for being uh, on the podcast today. Um, if anybody want to, you know, find out how to find you, where, where should they go? So they can grab me on LinkedIn. So I'm Ali Muller on, on LinkedIn or go to my website. So Goya Consulting, G-O-Y-A consulting.com.au. Or you can talk to me on Ali Muller, A-L-L-Y-M-U-L-L-E-R.com. Um, we've got loads of tools and templates and different processes that we can send out just to help you get a thought starter. So definitely email me. Um, I've also oh, written a book. book. Yeah, you've written a book. Yes, I've written a book on this whole process. So you can grab the nine-step framework in a book. I've written a book called Corporate Innovation, uh, Unlocking the Genius Inside Your Organization, which is the whole concept of how do we debunk all those myths um, so that we stop, we stop thinking in that particular way so that we can actually unlock the genius because it's there, your ideas are there, your people are your genius, they are your biggest and best asset. Um, and you can find that at Barnes and Noble and Amazon um, and I think all good online bookstores have that in, in the States at the moment. Well, I will look it up. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much. Um, it was it was great talking about innovation. I think it's it's also so important to talk about how it it's you, you don't go in and create that innovation. It's actually fostering within the organization. So um, thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. It's been great to talk about it. If you enjoyed this podcast, maybe you'd like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure also to check out our website, mindtheinnovation.com. Remember, stay curious and keep learning.